All right, good morning. How's everyone feeling today? We feeling good in the house? It's good to be here with you. Appreciate you being here. I want to welcome everyone who's joining us online. Glad that you are staying engaged. Uh, everyone who's at church in the parking lot, a.k.a. underneath the tent outside, we're glad that you're there too. And then we're glad for everybody uh, in the house this morning. Very, very grateful for all of you. My name is Daniel. If we haven't had a chance, this is my wonderful wife, Kayla, and we're going to be throwing it down this morning. So we're really excited about that. We have two boys who are living their best life and eating kids right now. Uh, they love it. It's amazing. Very grateful for them. And we're glad that we get to be here with you this morning. And like Alvin mentioned, we're going to be uh, continuing in a series that we started a few weeks ago called Modern Love. Modern Love. And we do a relationship talk every single year. And the reason we do it is because the way that we relate with one, with one another changes all the time. And the goal of this series over the last few weeks has been for us to do the hard work of learning how to develop healthy relationships. And I'm so grateful for all of you that have been uh, along on the journey. Last week was real special. Um, we talked about uh, how God trades our guilt for his grace. And I was so encouraged by how many of you participated in the rock sharing activity. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that conversation, I'd encourage you to go to our YouTube channel, uh, subscribe, but also listen to last week's message because I think uh, it can be a blessing to those of you who didn't get a chance to listen to it. Now, whatever path we are on this morning, I imagine that, uh, that we are all at different places. And so this morning, we're going to talk about marriage, but we recognize that that is not the goal for everyone. And we just want you to hear from us that our perspective is not that uh, if you're not married, you have not reached full spiritual maturity because I think sometimes in this type of context, it can seem like the church overvalues married people and undervalues single people. So I just want you to hear that uh, from that perspective. But this morning, we are going to be talking about marriage. Another thing that I want to say is that Kayla and I are not saying that we have it all figured out. Okay? <laughs> These are also, also aspirational principles for us <laughs> as well. Um, but, uh, but we have learned a few things along the way over the last few years. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, and, and the reason why we're talking about marriage is that because just because it's not a goal for everybody, it is a goal for a lot of people. And, and when you step into that place, uh, there are some unique challenges that come along. And so we want to help to parse out some of that in our conversation this morning. But no matter where you are at in your phase of life, I want you and I want all of us to step into this conversation believing that there is hope. Because God, the God that we serve is a God of hope. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with joy. When it comes to marriage and when it comes to relationships, there are some seasons of life where we just need an extra outpouring of hope. And so I'm going to pray for that this morning, and then we'll jump into the conversation. Father, I thank you so much for every person that is part of this, uh, this morning's service. God, we know that you see every single one of us. You see where we're at in our relationship. You see where we're at in our life. And God, we just ask that you would give us a sense of hope, a sense of peace, if that is not present right now. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity. And we pray all of this in your precious son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever had a dream in your life that didn't turn out 
exactly the way that you planned. Sometimes in life, we have the best intentions, right? Like for me, a few weeks ago, I was like, okay, the kids are back in school. I'm going to prioritize working out more. And so I go for a run, and it was like the best thing ever. I'm running, and I'm feeling so inspired. I'm like, I'm going to do this every day. This is awesome. And then a few days later, I go back, I start my run, and I don't know what happened, but like every joint in my body was in pain from like the hips down. Um, this was like the birds were not chirping anymore, and I could barely finish my run, and I get to the end, and it was just like the complete opposite of inspiring. It was despiring, if that's a word. Um, but, you know, sometimes in life we have these intentions and we have these dreams. Like how many of us dream of a happy, healthy marriage? We're going to be best friends forever with amazing vacations. We're going to travel the world and live the dream. And so we enter marriage with the best expectations. But somewhere along the way, reality starts to set in. Like we knew we'd have to work hard to make it in the Bay Area, but we didn't realize how little time we'd have for each other. Or we know that we have unhealthy relationship habits from the past, but we don't know how to change, and so we keep repeating the same bad habits. Or our spouse and I care about each other, but parenting is taking all the energy and priority that we have, and so we've accidentally put our marriage on the back burner for so long that it feels like our spouse is a stranger. How can we experience God's hope when relationships are hard in reality, here's a quote that I love um, that Navy SEALs are taught in their training. This is from an ancient Greek poet, Archilochus. When we face a crisis, we think that we're going to rise to the occasion. But actually what happens is we don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. And so in marriage, good intentions alone won't get us where we're trying to go. When we face a crisis, we're going to operate at the level of our training, which are our habits. And so if we can get healthy in our habits, we can grow the health of our marriage. And so this morning, we're sharing three habits for a healthy marriage. Right. Now, habit number one is particularly close to my heart. Uh, we're going to talk about how to fight fair. All right. How to fight fair. Now, I don't want anyone to raise your hand. Okay. You should know that, but I'm going to say this on the front end. All right. Don't raise your hand. This is a rhetorical question. But I wonder how many of you have had an argument with your spouse that you wish you could take back? How many of you have had an argument with your spouse where you wish you could have just said it a little bit differently? How many of you had an argument with your spouse where you thought it, but you knew you shouldn't say it, <laughs> but it was already too late because your mouth was moving and the words were coming out and you started bringing up things from the past? Okay, we have all probably been in that, probably been in that scenario before, and this is the reason why, is because conflict is a normative experience in every single meaningful relationship that we have. And so that means that every couple has conflict. Not us, of course. <laughs> that, uh, that is not the case. No, we have Just conflict. Kidding. We have conflict. But I don't know about you, but the way that conflict was done when I was growing up made me think that all conflict was wrong, it was bad, and it was unproductive. But when you look at research, most research today suggests that conflict is actually a really healthy part of relationships. But there's a distinction, okay? There is such a thing as bad conflict, and there's such a thing as good conflict. It is not all the same. I wonder if any of you have ever watched a UFC match, okay? It's a little bit brutal and all that sort of thing, so that may not be your thing. But you, the UFC 
is a sport about fighting. It's all about fighting. You, it's okay to punch someone in the face <laughs> in UFC. But even in the UFC, guess what? They have rules, right? They have rules. One of the rules is you don't kick below the belt. That's the most important rule. Okay, but it's rules. There's rules in fighting. And when it comes to fighting fair, when it comes to having healthy conflict, it is all about creating rules or guides that help in meaningful communication. Look at what, look at what James chapter 1, verse 19 says. It says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Someone once said that the reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth <laughs> is because we're supposed to be listening twice as much as we're talking. But in relationship and in conflict, oftentimes it's the opposite. We are not quick to listen. We are oftentimes quick to get our opinion out. But what we have learned is that the foundation of clear communication begins with the heart to understand your spouse first. Look at what Proverbs 18.2 says. It says, a fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. I think it's interesting uh, that the proverb assumed that it was a man, right? <laughs> delights in airing his own opinion. But the proverb literally calls a person a fool. It says, you're basic. You're a basic person if you do not seek understanding. Can you imagine how different our conflict would look with one another if we went into the conflict trying to understand the other person's perspective, but that doesn't happen often. That's right. Often by default in an argument, we go something like this. My opinion is this. Well, my opinion is this, and I'm raising my voice. Well, my opinion is that I don't care about your opinion, and I'm also mad about that thing that happened 10 years ago, and also, you know what? Your mother is not a saint. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That, when you get into it, you know you got into a deep conversation when you start calling out the mamas. Okay, you Why start bringing out the mamas. About each no. But now we're angry, we're yelling, or we're shutting down, and we're silent, and the lines of communication have broken down. And the problem is that this type of fighting, it can carry on indefinitely. It can escalate into anger, or it can devolve into past arguments, or it can widen into just chaos, or we don't even know where we're going in this argument. Sometimes it can get really discouraging when you realize that we're fighting over the same thing that we already fought about. Like, we don't even have to have this argument. We could just play the tape from last week because we're going to say the same things we said before. We're not going to get anywhere again. But it doesn't have to be this way. There is a better way. Like Dan said, to fight fair, we're going to be quick to listen. This past week in our Eden pre-marriage group, shout out to our group. I think some of our group is here this morning. We practiced this principle of reflective listening together. So this is listening with the goal to increase understanding. And if you want to change how you have conflict with your spouse, the next time you're in an argument, try this. Your spouse shares something that in the past has triggered an argument. Before our default is to offer our opinion or defend our viewpoint or escalate the argument in any way, stay calm, listen, and ask them follow-up questions. This is reflective listening, which means when your spouse shares how they feel, you listen and we say something like, so what I think I hear you saying is this, and then we repeat back to them what we think we heard so that they can clarify what they're trying to share with us. Um, and then to ask follow-up questions with a heart to truly understand what they are trying to communicate. 
I realize this is not easy. In the heat of an argument, I am a passionate debater, and um, this can feel a little goofy even to try to, you know, stay calm and ask questions and navigate it together, but it is a better way, and it is a habit that we can form together of how we respond in conflict to fight fair. Yeah, there's something powerful when, as you're communicating even in anger or frustration, when someone can repeat back to you what they think you said and they're right, for whatever reason, it begins to disarm whatever frustration because you know that they're actually trying to listen to what you're saying. The second habit that we want to talk about this morning is a habit of learning to forgive daily. Learning to forgive daily. Uh, in other messages on forgiveness, we said we're talking about the F word, okay? <laughs> the F word is forgiveness. And, uh, and I, I don't know if you think about it, the concept of marriage is actually a little bit crazy. You're trying to bring two imperfect people who have a bunch of past experiences that maybe over time have turned into bad habits and it's the result of being hurt and now there are certain hangups that they have in their life and you are confining them to one relationship where they are trying to grow and develop uh, with one another all in one space. This is the reason why marriage is so hard. It's why it takes a lot of work to become healthy. And one of the greatest tools, one of the greatest things that brings marriage to a place of health faster than anything else is the habit of learning to forgive. And it is what actually God has called us to do in every single type of relationship that we have. This is what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. He says, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And so forgiveness is maybe a challenging concept to understand. But the best definition that I've heard of forgiveness is the definition where it says forgiveness is the habit of choosing to release the bitterness. Forgiveness is the habit of choosing to release the bitterness, being offended and releasing it, being hurt by someone and releasing it, being frustrated at someone, being offended by someone and choosing to release the bitterness. And this is one thing that I have learned about forgiveness over time is that it is maybe one of the most unnatural thing that God ever calls us to do because it goes against every fiber in our being if it is being led by our ego, and it is challenging. It's never easy, but what this passage tells us is that it is possible because what it tells us is that Christ was our model for what forgiveness looks like, that we have a model, a template, for how to forgive someone who has done something wrong to us when we are innocent, because Christ forgave us. And I think that there is a really unique perspective that you have when you have been a recipient of grace. When someone has forgiven you of something, it opens up your heart to the idea that it is, it is possible to forgive someone else if they have wronged you. But it is not easy. Yeah, I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, Everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. But first, let's say what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not approving of what your spouse did. It is not denying that it happened. And it's not pretending that it didn't hurt. Forgiveness is not remaining in a toxic place where we keep repeating the pain endlessly and manipulate each other with meaningless apologies. Forgiveness means 
that we are aware of the offense and yet we choose to forgive because God forgave us. He gave us his grace so that we can give grace too. Building a habit around forgiveness is so powerful because it means that we are going to habitually choose to forgive daily. In the New Testament, Peter, a follower of Jesus, asks Jesus a question in Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. I learned this verse in Sunday school when I was a little girl, and I thought, I barely understand two times two. I have no idea what 70 times seven is. But the principle is not that we give our spouse grace and forgiveness up to 490 times and then let them know that they've maxed out the tab. It's the principle of unlimited forgiveness. Like, forgiveness is always available here. Even though it's hard to forgive, it is so much better. We are blessed when we start to experience a culture of grace in our marriage. When it's hard to choose to forgive, for me, I look at the alternative path. I think about what unforgiveness does in my heart because I know that unforgiveness eats away at my heart. And if left unchecked, it will actually destroy me from the inside out. It spreads, it festers into bitterness, and one day it just starts pouring over into other areas of life. Unforgiveness may feel like the easy way, but in the end, unforgiveness will cost us so much more than we wanted to give. Whereas forgiveness is hard on the front end, but it will lead to peace and health and growth. And so we're going to build that as a daily habit, forgiveness. Number three, habit number three is a habit of faithful, faithful living. And the more that we think about some of the trends and the patterns in our culture, I feel like this idea of faithfulness is becoming less and less of a part of the character of our country. Currently, some of the top reasons for divorce in our country are infidelity, lack of commitment, and incompatibility. And this is what that tells us, that we are living in a culture that thinks that it can have high levels of intimacy without an equal level of commitment to support that intimacy. But that is not possible because a healthy marriage is built on the foundation of faithfulness. Why do you think people get married? It is because you are making a lifelong commitment to be faithful. Otherwise, it would be a lot more easy just to remain as boyfriend and girlfriend. And if you're having a bad season of life, you're not locked in with this long-term commitment. But marriage itself, during your wedding vows, you are saying, I am choosing to remain faithful to you for the rest of our life. That is why marriage is valuable. And so to build a healthy marriage, it is building it on this idea of continued faithfulness. Proverbs 28 verse 20 says that a faithful person will be richly blessed. And so it's interesting. What does it mean to be faithful? Faithful has to do with being loyal to someone. Oftentimes, faithfulness has to do with our focus. If we focus on other things disproportionately to the amount that we're focusing on our marriage, it is actually easy to become unfaithful. It's easy to focus more on work Sometimes, in certain seasons of life, it's easy to focus more on extracurricular activities than it is to focus on marriage, it's focus, to focus on our habits, or even to focus on other relationships. And this is what you'll learn if you pay attention, that 
when the focus shifts, sometimes so does the commitment. I wonder if you've ever tried running real hard, but you're not looking in the direction that you're running. My kids do this all the time. It just drives me crazy. I mean, they run into people, they run into doors, and they blame other people for it. But what happens, you'll notice, is that it is hard to run in the direction of something that you're not looking at because you have a natural tendency to put your energy toward the things that your eyes are focused on. And so what does it take for us to be faithful? It's not just faithful with our bodies, not just trying to be faithful with our minds or with our hearts, but it's being faithful in every part of who we are to the person that we made a commitment to. The other day, I took my kids bowling, and uh, when we went bowling, we put up those bumpers. You know what those bumpers are on the side, so it keeps the ball from going into the gutter. And so we put up the bumpers whenever it's their turn, and they thought they were these amazing bowlers, right? <laughs> they were beating me for a minute. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, accidentally, the bumpers went down. No, actually, they really just stopped, stopped working. And, uh, and then they started bowling, and all of their balls, by God's grace, started going in the gutter, okay? And I reclaimed my victory over my children. But it's so interesting, right, that having these bumpers, these guidelines, helped the ball get to where it was trying to go. The same is true for marriage. One of the most valuable things that you can do in your relationship are to set up godly guidelines that help you to live a life of faithfulness to your spouse. Yeah, so we're going to share some of our personal guides that we have for our marriage. I do think that this is descriptive for our relationship and not necessarily prescriptive for your relationship. I think it's what works for us, but it's best for you and your spouse to create boundaries and guides that work for you. Um, but one thing that we decided in our marriage is that Dan and I are best friends, and we choose to be best friends. There is no other friendship that either of us have that comes close to the relationship that we have with each other. We are each other's confidant. We are each other's greatest fan and greatest cheerleader. Um, and sometimes if we feel like our marriage isn't going well, uh, we don't look to other relationships or pull back from this relationship we lean in. I love this quote from Craig and Amy Groeschel in their book on marriage called From This Day Forward. It says, when it comes to your marriage, if the grass looks greener somewhere else, it's time to water your own lawn. Also in our marriage, to protect our faithfulness, we decided that we do not spend significant alone time with people of the opposite sex. It just doesn't help us. We decided that our lives are joined 100% and completely open to each other. And so our finances are completely joined together. Our calendars, our devices, our social media, our search history are all completely open to each other. Another thing that we decided is that we are going to make our habits, our, I'm sorry, our highlights our habit, meaning that we prioritize fun together. We've committed to spending the rest of our lives together, so let's enjoy it. A staple on our calendar is our weekly date night. We look forward to this all week. It's a chance for us to reconnect um, and just share together, catch up, enjoy a nice meal together. Also, we love getting out of town together. This is something that is so important for our marriage. Just the two of us, our kids have fun staying with grandparents. Um, but these guidelines are all about helping us stay faithful and stay close to each other. 
Faithfulness is so important to us because we know that it is our legacy. I think about my grandparents, and we're going to share some photos. Um, Gerald and Mary, they were married in 1951. And I love my grandparents so much. This is them on their wedding day. And going to their house growing up, it was a delight. What's really unique about my grandparents' story is that they tragically lost their teenage daughter, Connie, in a car crash. And then many years later, they tragically lost their son, Peter, in a search and rescue helicopter crash. This was devastating for them. This was so hard for them to navigate and for the entire family. For me, as a little girl at the time, I watched my grandpa, love my grandma, sorry, so dearly. Um, it was so hard for them to bury two of their children. Like, that's something that no parent should ever have to do. And their faithfulness to each other, their commitment to each other, and the way that my grandpa loved my grandma so tenderly, um, I'll never forget that. Their legacy of love and faithfulness um, continues to be a blessing. A couple years ago, my grandpa passed away, and they were married for 66 years before he passed away. And when I see and think about these pictures and think about them together, it brings me so much joy. And what's really cool is that their faithfulness and my grandpa's faithfulness, it actually is a blessing even beyond his lifetime. I'm so grateful that through decade after decade, and even through tragedy after tragedy, they didn't give up. Their marriage is a picture of faithfulness. And I think their, their model for us is really powerful because um, I didn't have that type of lineage in my family. That wasn't part of uh, my, the, the type of family that I, I grew up understanding, but it, it, it makes so much sense to like look at their life and to think in those really hard moments that you find yourself in, in marriage or those hard moments in life where you feel tempted to do something that you know is not going to be a benefit to you long term, but in the moment it feels like it's the right thing to do. But it's to have this long term perspective, the, the long game in mind when it comes to faithfulness and remembering that whatever little momentary satisfaction that comes by stepping out of a commitment that we've made will fleet and will, will disappear in a moment compared to the type of legacy that is attached to a faithful mind and a faithful heart and a faithful life because we think about our children and when we engage in our relationship and when we talk and when we interact with one another, we are not just doing that for ourselves. I mean, that is important. But we also recognize is that we are setting a template for our, how our children will understand how to relate to each other. And our goal is not perfection, okay? Because we messed no. that up a long time ago, okay? It is not perfection. But our goal right now is for our kids to have to undo less when they come to adulthood. For them to have to undo as little as possible as a result of the influence that we have over them. And one of the greatest gifts that we feel like we can give our children is teaching them how to be faithful, even after an argument, even after a disagreement, but building that into their minds that when we make a commitment, we do our very best to stick with it. But I also say that if that has not been your story, like that has typically not been the story in my family's household, what I have also seen 
is how God can redeem that. My mother has been married several times uh, before she was a believer. But then she came to faith in Jesus and God transformed her life. And he reworked this idea of commitment and faithfulness in her life. And I saw God redeem a woman who had a pattern of unfaithfulness in her life and in her marriages turn her into the most committed, one of the most committed wives I've ever seen, going through difficult and challenging times. And so I don't know what your story is today. I don't know what your relationships have been like. But I wonder if this week we make the decision to begin forming new habits in our most important relationships. If we make the decision to start forming new patterns, what if one of those patterns was a desire to understand our spouse even in the midst of conflict? What if we begin implementing a habit in our life of being quick to forgive when we have been wronged? And I wonder if you started making the hard, disciplined decisions in your life to begin setting up guidelines that lead you down a path of faithfulness for the future. I want you to know that wherever you're at this morning, God understands you. He sees you, and this is what's so beautiful about everything that we said this morning. Every single one of these characteristics and every single one of these habits is a picture of who God is. That God is faithful to us, even when we have made wrong decisions in our life. Even when we have acted selfishly, God keeps showing up. And this is what God shows up to the door of our bad decision. He shows up with the gift of forgiveness. That God is never hiding his forgiveness from us, but it is always at the forefront of our relationship, ready and willing to be given out. And God is hoping that we would receive it. And I don't know where you're at in your life today. I don't know what your story has been. But I imagine that there are some of us tuning in online, maybe outside underneath the tent or even in the room today that have walked through these doors needing to experience a fresh set of forgiveness, needing to experience being received by God who has always loved them, needing to experience what it feels like to be in relationship with someone who is not flippant, but who is faithful. And that is God. The Bible tells us that God loved us so much that he gave his son so that we didn't have to live under the weight of our sins, that we wouldn't have to live under the weight of our bad decisions. But once we stepped into relationship with God, he would take every bit of our guilt and our shame and he would give us his grace and he would give us his righteousness. And what that does for us is it allows for us to experience the most pure form of peace that is possible. Not some manufactured peace that comes from reading self-help books, which I'm not opposed to, by the way. <laughs> but it's the type of pure peace that comes when our soul is awakened for the first time. And this morning, if you have never stepped into a relationship with God, I want to give you a chance to do that. The Bible actually says that it is a simple process. And just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy, but it is simple. 
Because God wants nothing from you except your heart. Because what God knows is that your heart in his hands is much better than your heart in your hands. It's so funny sometimes when we argue with our children to get them to do stuff, they, we, we know our kids better than they know themselves. And that is such a blessing because we can lead them into things that they think they wouldn't want to do, but when they finally do it, they experience blessing. That is the same perspective that God has for us. But the challenge is for us to take that step of faith and to trust that God can actually do more with us and with our lives and our minds and our hearts than we've been able to accomplish over the last few years. And so this morning, if you want to take that step, I want to give you a chance to do that. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask for everyone to bow their heads and to close their eyes. And you don't need to worry about anyone else in the room. If you are watching online, hopefully you're alone. And if you're not, you don't need to worry about anyone around you. Or if you're outside in the tent, this is a conversation that I think God brought you here to have. To finally receive him into your life and allow for him to do the work from the inside out. And so this morning, if you want to take that step, I'm going to pray a prayer. And I want you to repeat after me in your heart take that step to trust God with what's happening inside. And so if everyone would close your eyes and bow your heads, and this morning, if you want to step into faith for the first time, you can go ahead and repeat this after me. Dear God, I love you, and I thank you that you loved me first. I thank you that you didn't give up on me. I thank you that you are so quick to forgive. God, I have tried to do this on my own. And it's not leading me to where I want to go. And this morning, I want to give you the weight that I've been carrying. I want to give you the shame and the guilt and the burden that I've carried for so long. And I want you to take it from me. And I want you to come inside my heart and in my life so that I can be renewed from the inside out so that I could experience your peace for the first time. God, I pray that you would give me strength as I follow you in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, I believe. I want you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. And if you prayed that prayer in your heart, I want to encourage you to raise your hand and let us know what God is doing in this space. I see you, I see you, I see you. I see you this morning. If you prayed that prayer, go ahead and slip your hand up. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. If you're watching online, go ahead and write amen in the chat. We have a host that will love to get you some more information. Father, we thank you for every bit of work that you're doing in our hearts this morning. We thank you for this room. We thank you for this community. God, you are at work, and you have always been at work in this place. But God, the power is not just when we hear these stories, but it is to experience them for ourselves, to experience that forgiveness that comes from a God who is faithful all the time. And I thank you this morning for every person who stepped into faith, trusting you their lives. God, I pray that you would show them this week why you are so powerful and why you are so good. 
God, I pray for those of us who are navigating marriage and ask that you would be with us, that you would walk with us, that you would give us the ability to develop habits that are going to lead us down the path that you always desired. And God, I thank you and pray a special blessing on every, every person, a part of the conversation this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.